the Monkey Mind Podcast, your number one platform for athletes and mental health. Hosted by Danny Perez and Anthony Florentino. This is episode 62 featuring Sean Edwards. Sean is a former hockey player, now turned hockey coach and physical education teacher slash moving specialist for children with disabilities. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Daily Dose CBD Inc. Daily Dose CBD Inc. creates full spectrum CBD products ranging from tinctures, bombs, and dog treats. Research has shown that CBD has successful results in aiding in the following areas. Anti-inflammation, anxiety, PTSD, help with breaking addiction, neuroprotection, epilepsy, arthritis, chronic pain, and sleeping disorders. Daily Dose meets an extremely safe and effective product that we know you will love, enjoy, and benefit from. Daily Dose has given Monkey Mind listeners 15% off all their orders. Head over to DailyDoseCBDInc.com and use promo code MONKEYMIND15 for 15% off your purchases. That's promo code MONKEYMIND15 for 15% off all your orders at DailyDoseCBDInc.com. We got a very special guest on today, Sean Edwards. Um, I wanted him to, to introduce himself, um, and I told him off the air too. I'm going to tell him again on the air. I don't want him to be humble. I'm going to call him out. Um, but yeah, he was, so to give context about me and Sean's relationship, Sean, um, I played spring hockey for the New Rock Patriots with him. And he started a summer program and a spring program out in New Rochelle, New York. And he invited me to come play and um, I would do lessons with him. And essentially what flourished from there was, you know, someone who is extremely important, important in my life and a mentor and someone that, um, you know, I've opened up a lot too in regards to my mental health and in regards to hockey in general. And I'm wholeheartedly confident in saying that I would not be where I am today uh, from a mental perspective and from, a, you know, less importantly, a hockey perspective, but still important to me at the time. But um, I would not have been where I was at playing collegiately and professionally if it wasn't for Sean Edwards. And he's helped me get out of some pretty, uh, some pretty dark spots that I was in. Um, and he's someone that I've known pretty much my whole life, my whole hockey career. So he's watched me grow and he's been instrumental in my growth. So, um, you know, I'm just super excited to have him on and, you know, kind of talk about a bunch of different topics, you know, whether it be mental health or, um, you know, hockey and mental health. So I'm excited for him to give his perspective on it and his experience and all that as, as a, you know, a hockey coach and um, a teacher as well and a very intelligent man and someone who's important in my life. So without, you know, Taking up all the airtime here, Sean, if you could please introduce yourself for, for everybody out there listening. Wow, sure. Yeah. Geez, Dan, thanks for the intro. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot. So, um, listen, first of all, uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to come on the show. You know, what, what are you, like 61, 62 some odd guests yeah. in to this, yep. uh, this big thing that was an experiment back in the day and it turned into something that's a legitimate platform for discussing mental health issues and supporting players and I guess just letting, being a voice and letting people know that they're not alone out there. I mean, so listen, hats off to you uh, for creating something uh, out of nothing and, uh, and bringing so many people on and letting them talk and tell their story so that so many more people can kind of hear that. And uh, that's incredible. So what you've been doing, I mean, I'm really proud of your effort. And um, hey, listen, hats off to you for, for setting that up. Um, about me, my hockey background is uh, <laughs> it's pretty all over the place and pretty eclectic, you know. Um, 
you know, obviously I'm a black American, Afro-American, and uh, I grew up in the South Bronx uh, in a single family, a single parent household. My mom, you know, brought me up. I never met my dad. Um, you know, at the time, you know, my mom, when she had me, um, I have four other siblings that are half brothers and sisters, you know, two brothers, two sisters, one brother passed a long time ago. Um, you know, I am the youngest of the five in total. And uh, I have nieces and nephews. I always joke with Danny. I've, I've told you before, I have nieces and nephews that are much older than I am. And uh, it's just the pecking order of things. And, um, you know, at the time, my mother made the decision to really focus on raising me, a young man that, you know, by herself, um, you know, in the middle of the South Bronx, she came from Warrington, North Carolina. Uh, she left an abusive household, um, you know, had a stepfather that wasn't the best and uh, a mom that, you know, really, you know, back then, you know, they, the, the female wanted to have a male counterpart that took care of her and, and made sure that the household, you know, things were different. And, and that sense of independence wasn't as strong in certain areas. And, um, you know, my grandmother, you know, wouldn't uh, separate herself from that toxic environment, you know, talk about mental health issues and being environments that aren't healthy for us. My mom, however, wanted to get herself and her young kids out of that. And so she came to New York and uh, she raised those four kids on her own. Um, she worked as a beautician in the city. She uh, eventually, uh, you know, took equity in her own shop. And, uh, and then she kind of retired from the business and gave that up when she later had me at a later age. And, um, you know, she, uh, she went on to public assistance uh, because she needed the financial help uh, in order to raise me in the city by herself. And uh, lo and behold, her son picks the most expensive sport there is to get involved <laughs> in, you know. So, uh, you know, at the time, my older sister, she would come by and uh, the way I got involved in hockey is this. She, she came by one weekend and she would take me to different places, parks, this, that, the other thing, just to be active when I was much younger. Um, probably around eight or so this this took place and one of the times we went on an excursion to a to an ice rink and it was a Flushing Meadows War Memorial rink and she would take me there on a regular on Fridays we'd skate it was a lot of fun I took to it really really quickly um, you know I, I hesitate to say that I was extremely athletic I don't think that was the, but I did pick up things pretty quickly and skating was one of them because I had a strong interest in it It was a lot of fun and uh, one time she came to pick me up and we went to Flushing Meadow <clears throat> and uh, Flushing Memorial Rink, and it was closed, uh, you know, and we were kind of like, well, what's going on? The Zamboni had broken down. Typical story for an ice rink. So I was really upset. She wanted to try to appease me. So we found another rink in the city, 450 West 33rd Street, the 16th floor of an office building. And for those OGs out there, you'll know that that was Skyrink, Skyrink, which is now Skyrink at Chelsea Piers. And um, when we came in that Friday afternoon, there was a hockey clinic going on. And uh, right before what was going to be a public session, and my face immediately got glued to the glass. Uh, the guys were doing suicides. Um, the sound of it, there was a whole bunch of kids on the ice, a whole bunch of kids, uh, young teenagers, whatever. And just back and forth, back and forth, I was glued to it. And from that moment, about eight years old or so, I, I just knew that I wanted to be part of that. So I became a rink rat, hung out in the rinks you know, all the time. The manager of that facility, Sky Rink at Chelsea Piers at the time, was a guy by the name of Guy Robinson. And uh, Guy Robinson was an old Yale uh, alum. And uh, 
you know, he had gotten down on his luck a little bit here or there. He managed to rink because a gentleman by the name of Dave Tewksbury had thrown him a bone, given him an opportunity to kind of manage to rink. Guy was an amazing skater, older gentleman who would run the clinics. And he saw I was there all the time. He eventually started piecemealing equipment together for me, and I went from being on the public sessions uh, after the clinic to sneaking out during the clinics when I wasn't supposed to, and he kind of turned his you know, eye the other way. And I skated there. I got involved in clinics, uh, developed my skills over time, uh, developed pretty quickly because I loved it, and I was enjoying it, and I couldn't get enough ice time. And, um, you know, I, I skated in the house league teams there that would have me. I would, you know, be a ringer, sneak on if someone needed an extra player. Um, I would sneak on and jump in the back of someone's car if they were going off to a tournament and jump on the bench and play. Um, I eventually uh, was uh, at Abe Stark Arena in Brooklyn, um, and they had the Greater New York Stars, which was a program that I kind of haphazardly was a part of, and I couldn't afford any of this. So it was all... You know, not handouts, but a lot of supportive people that allowed me to just kind of slide on the rosters. Things weren't as official as they are now. You could get away with all that. And, uh, you know, I played for those organizations. I played out at Abe Stark for a while. I played at Skyrink for a while and got as much ice time at those two facilities. Eventually, Skyrink hired a director of hockey named Jimmy Burns. And we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit. But Jimmy Burns was uh, played for the uh, Nordiques at one point in the old uh, the Devils, New Jersey Devils, and kind of had a drinking problem back in that time and found himself, you know, doing all sorts of things. He became an actor. He actually was a soap opera actor, oddly enough. And then he found his way to managing, uh, you know, being a director of hockey at the old Sky Rink at 450 West 33rd Street. And he kind of became a mentor. He was my first official coach. You know, and he helped me out through a couple of things. I found myself uh, connecting with a gentleman by the name of Bill Hall. People in the hockey community will know who that is. And, um, you know, he worked with the uh, Selects program and the national program a bit. Uh, Jimmy sent me up to uh, the East Coast Hockey League's first free agent camp in Niagara. And I went over there and I skated a little bit and tried my hand at trying to get into a league. And, you know, eventually ran into... Two other guys named Dave Kramer, Tim Kramer, who ran a semi-pro team that went overseas and uh, played other pro teams in exhibition, like really low-level, lower-level uh, pro teams, uh, and uh, called the Ice Pirates. And as a young kid, I went over there, and you know, I, I was skating in uh, Czech Republic, and two coaches kind of took notice because you know it's a black guy out there on the ice who could skate pretty well, kind of stood out. And uh, it was a Russian coach, and then there was another coach uh, for Prague, which was Bohemia uh, at the time. It was their national program, but bounced that down, tier two national program, their second, third team. And uh, they had interest, and so I stayed over. I came home, told my mom about it. Uh, I deferred a year from college. Um, I had gotten into uh, Dartmouth and NYU. Uh, Dartmouth didn't know me from a hole in the wall and the coach over there uh, you know didn't know who I was and I wasn't certain of my ability to go in there as a walk-on so I deferred from NYU went overseas got a chance to play pro hockey for a year and a half uh, worked a second job unloading potatoes off the back of a truck to earn enough money to kind of you know just feel comfortable and uh, came home and then started my coaching career shortly thereafter uh, after realizing that I think it was about that time I had run my course as far as my skill being able to carry me through comfortably uh, on that pro circuit. I wasn't going to make it into the East Coast Hockey League uh, in a comfortable role. Uh, just didn't have that skill set that they were looking for. Um, and uh, at the time, my skill set matched more with a European model, I guess you would say. More open ice, less hitting, 
uh, came home and, you know, eventually started coaching and, and then the coaching career starts from there. Yeah. And I want to obviously get into that, um, you know, that transition into being a coach, how, you know, talk about the programs you've coached and um, <clears throat> some of the opportunities that you've had in that space. And then I want to talk from there about kind of your approach to coaching and right. your approach to how you, um, you don't coach, you mentor players, young players and you're, um, yeah, when you talk about that and I can just throw in my experience of how, why I think it's really special, you know, what you do. All right. Well, you know, when I came back home, uh, you know, you can attest, and I think any hockey player can attest for the most part. I mean, some have a smoother transition from the time that they have to make that decision to stop playing uh, competitively and then sort of go into mainstream life, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, you know, there, there was a moment there where it was tough, right? I, uh, you know, but when I came back, there were a couple of people, and I'm going to throw some names out here. Some of them you know, probably some of the viewers and listeners will know and, and have different feelings about. However, these just were the people that I ran into when I came back home. Um, one of them was Jim Hunt, who was working with the New Jersey Devils uh, youth organization. He was like their director or, or what have you. And Jimmy Hunt obviously was with the national program for a good while. He's a name that's part of that program. And he, you know, he invited me out to be on the ice with his practices. He invited me to skate with his guys because I'm still trying to figure it out. You know, I'm still trying to kind of stay on the ice and, and keep my skill set. Uh, just in case an opportunity bounced up that I may want to jump into. But at the same time, I just wanted to be around hockey. That, that, that's really what it was, and I didn't quite understand at the moment. I just wanted to be in the environment. So he afforded me that opportunity. Another guy, uh, John Denorsha, who was uh, you know with, later with the Devils as well, um, afforded me the same opportunity. And then I started looking at what these guys were doing and, and hearing some of the interactions they were having with players, some of them that I agreed with, some of them maybe I had a different mindset on. And it started to pique my interest and, um, you know, and, and, you know, just kind of being on the other side of it a little bit. And so it helped me gradually make that transition from being a player into wanting to coach and, and sort of work with and mentor players. Um, you know, I, I found myself back at my old stomping grounds at, uh, you know, the uh, old Sky Rink, which was still at 450 West 33rd Street and uh, was transitioning over to about to ready to go to the piers now, which is Chelsea Piers. Their first opened, uh, fully operating business was Sky Rink, the, the ice rink. But that hadn't come about just yet. And um, so I was, you know, I, I got on the ice and helped out with clinics, pushed pucks around, talked to players in the corner on the side while the head coaches were doing their thing and supporting people. And I think that's where I first started getting a taste of my feeling of a supportive role. You know, the assistant coach is usually one that you can talk to and, uh, you know, you can kind of feel like you have a more open relationship with and have different conversations with. Um, and that kind of became me. Um, I coached with the New York City Cyclones at Skyrink for a good while. Um, eventually, I, uh, you know, I, I got back with Bill Hall and Conforti and some of those other guys, and, and they had uh, helped me out with different things. And I started kind of poking my head around the national program a little bit for Select 16s, Select 15s, either selection committee or just kind of being out there on the ice helping out. And, uh, and then I went on to become a head coach. I was coaching in house leagues, obviously, for a good while. And then I... Uh, I had an opportunity to go over to Apple Corps and I coached with their Junior B program for a while and then I became the assistant coach with their Junior A program under Henry Lazar. Um, and uh, you know, in 2010 we, got the, we were fortunate enough, we had a really strong team, a great bunch of guys and we won a national title with them, uh, USA Hockey national title and, and that was awesome. 
and that opened up some more opportunities as far as coaching. Um, and uh, yeah, I work with a lot of different organizations, uh, youth organizations. I currently work with and had been working with for a while uh, the Rye Rangers Youth Organization <clears throat> as their coaching director, and then sort of took a step back when I started working in the city. You know, I'm a physical education teacher now. I work at a uh, a school uh, with kids that have uh, some learning disabilities and, and specifically uh, who are on the spectrum of autism. And so I'm a movement specialist slash physical education teacher. And um, so that took a lot of time. And so now I'm just coaching a Bantam and Pee Wee team with Rye and uh, kind of keeping myself in the mix a good bit. Um, and, you know, before then, as you know, and you mentioned, I had a 12 year stretch where I started my own organization, which was Patriots Youth Hockey. And it was under the guise of Patriots Youth Hockey Development. And, um, you know, we did tournaments, we did spring teams, we did training, we had summer camps. Uh, and it all gave me an opportunity to be in front of kids in my own, on my own terms and not having to worry about uh, a board and a, uh, you know, a coaching staff or a director that had its own mindset on playing time and who this and who that and who got picked. You know, I got to make all my decisions and live or die by them. And, um, yeah, so I guess that's a quick, a quick synopsis of some of the mm -hmm. stuff I've been doing with hockey. Yeah, um, it's funny that it kind of goes hand in hand with how you operated that organization and kind of how you carry yourself around players. And, um, you know, just talking from my personal experience, I, I was a late bloomer. Um, and because of Sean, I don't think I ever would have bloomed. And obviously there's other people in my life who've helped me out as well. But Sean was someone who um, nurtured me when I was a hard, you know, person to nurture. I wasn't the most skilled always. And I was super undersized, you know, um, was hitting puberty at like night. I was like 18, 17 years old, like super late bloom. Where I was like, what was it? I was five, five, 120 pounds, junior year of high school, Sean. I had a huge yeah, growth spurt, so you sprung up. <laughs> exactly. So like, just to give context and like, that's kind of how it was for me in my hockey career. And 17, 18, if they, you know, how, what they say, if you're not talking to division one schools, you're done, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, I wanted to play division one and I wanted to play pro hockey and Sean was someone that helped me, you know, he would water the, the, the seeds of me having like self-belief and confidence when there was nobody really out there else that did um, in the hockey world, I guess you could say, I was always scratching and clawing. So um, I want you to talk Sean about kind of your approach to hockey and, um, we can dive into some of the things you mentioned before about you don't have to listen to anybody, hence why you created your own thing. And I think sometimes a lot of other, you know, there's higher ups in hockey organizations that dictate decisions for young kids and um, very impressionable kids. And you just, you didn't want to be involved in that. So I want you to kind of talk about your approach to hockey and your approach to youth development um, and your approach to just mental development overall. Yeah. Well, this is where the train goes off the rails. I get a yeah. fired up on it. Um, I know. Well, let's see. It's hard uh, not to, though. Yeah, it's how hard not I... to get fired up about it. Yeah, well, you know, it's hockey and it's a passionate sport. And, you know, it, it, there's a lot of, okay, here we go. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of emotion involved, right? You know, uh, and, and we got to be honest with ourselves. You know, I think, you know, we all bring emotional baggage with us to whatever room or space we decide to occupy, you know? And when you decide that you're gonna be an educator or you're gonna be a coach, or you're gonna be a mentor, or you're gonna be someone that's gonna be responsible in some way, big or small, for a young developing player, person, a human being, 
Um, you know, you really got to focus on what your rules of engagement are as that mentor. You're going to have to accept the fact that there are going to be mistakes that you're going to make regardless of what your paradigm or your thought process is. Um, and I think that, you know, I would like to say that, and, and people will say like the burden is, is, should be equally shared. Like if you delve into this thing, like you talk about the relationships of players, coaches, parents, the family, and, and all of that has to work together to give you like an experience that's something that is health, healthy and helpful. Um, but I'm gonna take a step back and say as coaches, you know, I think we have to really give our head a shake and think about how our role is so influential and can be so positive and so beneficial to a young developing player. Um, and how dangerous it can be and how it's a huge responsibility and how much damage we can do uh, to a young developing player that's looking up at us for guidance, you know, and um, the hockey world has taken so many turns, you know, one of the reasons I stepped back a little bit and I still coach and I'm still working with Ryan Rangers and I'm still doing things within the hockey, uh, you know, universe, but not as much, um, you know, I just... I don't want to say I don't like the direction that hockey is going. Um, I just, some of the things that I found that was so, uh, that I, the, the experiences I had when I was coaching Patriots hockey, not because it was my thing, but because I was afforded the opportunity to have a relationship with my players on the terms that I felt was healthy for both of us. You know, coaching and teaching is a reciprocal process. You know, it goes both ways. You know, it's give and take. You know, and we have to be honest with that dynamic. You know, you go in there as a coach and you're, you want to give knowledge and you want to give perspective and you want to give motivation and you want to try to give whatever you can do to help motivate your players. And, and you also are taking, you're taking back some of that feedback from your players, that positive, you know, whatever the case may be. And your organizations, you know, you have players running from one organization to the next, you know, changing jerseys like they're changing their underwear, you know, for lots of reasons. Sometimes just because <laughs> jersey's cool, they want to do something. I don't know, you know. And uh, there used to be a time when more so than not, you know, playing for your local town team, your club organization was, you know, a badge of pride. Regardless if the team was super successful or not, you played for your town and you played for your high school and now... You have players just running all over the map chasing after, I guess, good coaching, uh, chasing after opportunity. You know, we become very opportunistic. And um, I just think that somewhere along the line, you know, the trust between organizations and families, coaches and players had been compromised. Do you understand what I mean? Like the, at some point, you know, it's like, well, I, I don't really trust this coach because am I going to get the play? You know, or am I going to be a first liner or a second liner and coaches sell a bill of goods and then all of a sudden in the middle of the season, kid is benched or not playing and you'd say, well, that's up to the kid. The kid has to, you know, do their part. The player has to do their part. And that's true. That's true. But the coach has a lot of uh, responsibility in shaping and guiding that experience. And they give a kid two seconds to prove themselves and all of a sudden they're on the dog list and they're, they're not playing. You know, like they had a bad shift oh you're done you know they go into the next kid and i think somewhere along the line we we kind of lost the trust in that dynamic as coaches and i think parents and families have some culpability in it as well um but uh you know i it's just it gets a little frustrating to see the lack of loyalty to organizations like players just sticking around we had our uh, patriots program for 12 years and within that 12 year span there were pretty much two and a half teams and those guys stayed together 
for that whole run, you know, and um, there's a reason for that, you know, and a lot of times I'll say you can coach from fear, or you can coach from love, and we can dive into that later, but, you know, you, you decide, and the latter I think is harder, but, you know, I think the benefits of it on both sides, coaches and the families and the kids is, is well worth it. Yeah. I, uh, it's tough because as parents, you know, you want the best for your kid. <clears throat> so I think, you know, you saying the disloyalty, like I, I've always noticed that like there's always players who, and you know, so it's a thing for hockey players to jump around organization to organization. Correct. I think yeah, that loyal, <laughs> yeah, and I think that loyalty is so important, but it's so lost. But on the on the same hand, it's hard to trust a system that changes league names every two years. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so it's like, you know, wonder these parents are in and out going to the same organizations within a ten mile radius of each other when the league name changes every single season. It's right. like, how, well, who do you trust then? I think there's a lot of distrust in every aspect, top to bottom in hockey right now. And it's very frustrating. And, you know, you're starting to see a very me-centric culture, I think, from the, you know, younger generation up. Whereas, like, the old school game was, you know, it wasn't as flashy, but guys were in it for the team. And now it's like, I'm just wearing this jersey for this season so I can commit or I can go to, you know, this junior league or this – hockey program and play for this coach it's like and i mean I, I i didn't bounce around a lot but you know looking back i was very you know goal oriented and i wanted to you know achieve my goals but i was also found i think i found a really good job at finding that happy medium with you know being a good teammate and caring about winning and stuff like that but now it's just who's gonna get me to the next level and that's it and like enjoy playing the game too you know and um that part's frustrating but you know i think I stuck around with you for so long um, because you were loyal. It, it was a mutually agreed loyalty friendship that we had of like coach, player, mentor kind of thing. So like I trusted you because you cared about me genuinely as a person. And from there, I stuck around, played with you forever. And um, I just think that there needs to be more people like you who are genuine and caring about players and bringing them up and nurturing their ability. And I just, it's just frustrating to not see that as much anymore. Well, I mean, you know, I, there are so many nuances within, and I appreciate the kind words. I mean, it, it obviously goes both ways. You know, um, I appreciate all the players like you who, you know, you mentioned like, you know, you weren't that, t you know, you weren't, you weren't that big, you know, when you were younger, you're a small little guy out there just doing your thing. And who would have thought you would blow up into a big monster? There's no way I could have known that in a crystal ball, right? There's no way I could know that. But I wasn't coaching from that. For me, I wasn't coaching from that place, you know, and there are coaches out here that'll say, well, you know, you, you know, I'm coaching to win, you know, we have big stakes here at this, you know, Prosthetic St. Mary, whatever the name, you know, big stakes, real important things. You're coaching in a, in a vacuum or an isolated area and I say, listen, I, you know, I've coached junior A, I've coached nationals. I've worked with players that have mindsets. I've worked with, you know, guys that have gone on to play in the NHL and I've told them the same thing that I've told, you know, guys that you know, kind of stuck around in house league, you know, and, and what's that, you know, you, you got to delve into the love that you have for, for this sport. And, and, and as coaches, we have to remember that too. How are you going to get the best out of your players? You know, if they're not happy, if they're not healthy, if they're not, if they're not psychologically, you know, in a good place, you can't, you know, if you really want to win, 
then you're going to have to coach with courage. You're going to have to take some chances. And those chances mean that you might have to throw little Johnny out there and give him a chance to, you know, make a mistake and, and build him up out of that mistake so that he has a little more confidence the next time so he's not terrified to go on the ice and, and play from fear, mm-hmm. you know, and play from a place of just, I'm out here, you know, I'm, I'm going to do my best, I'm going to work as hard as I can, and my coach is going to support me. Obviously, you know, there are nuances to this. You know, when we talk about having loyalty to a program, no one coach is going to give you as a player everything you need. You know, your your experience through the, you know, traveling through this hockey world, you're going to encounter lots of coaches. But, you know, there's a difference between like just really jumping from one team to the next to the next to the next and running after just you know, where did that disloyalty, that distrust start? Did it start with coaches, you know, taking kids all the way up into Quebec or wherever they take them and, you know, to to sit on the bench and not play a game? Or did it start when some star player went to a team and then their parents decided, oh, we're out of here and they take them off the team and all of a sudden the you know, team is kind of like, whoa, what just happened? We lost our top guy, you know, because they went after another opportunity because some other coach sold them a bill of good. I mean, where, where did it start? You know, mm-hmm. and um, and how do we get it back? How do we get ourselves back to a place where, uh, you know, we're just coaching with more integrity, with more courage? I mean, there's a I don't know if it was Montreal who, you know, Montreal's in the, in the Stanley Cup finals. Actually, they're playing tonight, Danny. Yeah. <laughs> they're playing tonight. And I think it was Montreal, but they were talking about it on one of the commentaries. And it was like, you know, they roll four lines. You know, they play four lines. They go out there with these guys and they play their four lines and that's their methodology, right? Not everybody's. And this is at the highest level, right? So make no mistake, you know, this whole issue with the money grab and the issue of changing leagues every five seconds and the names of leagues so that they can create a new one. There was a time when the East Coast, when the uh, Eastern Junior Hockey League, the EJ was the top Junior A League, which was the one I coached in with Applecore at the time. And then all of a sudden the name changed, right? Someone wanted to have a money grab. And, and create a, a different organization. You know, not my thing, but, um, and, and so that's what happened. So where does this type of methodology start from? It starts from the top. You know, a lot of the stuff that we have that affects our youth hockey trickles all the way down from the pro leagues, you know, because people look up and they say, oh, you know, this is what you got to do in order to be successful and aggressive. And they start fashioning programs after that. They start running around recruiting players based on recruitment practices that they see at the pro level. And we got to do something with that. You know, I think USA Hockey has to step in. I think that pro teams have to kind of think about what they're going to do. I mean, if we have a Stanley Cup team that's in the, if we have a team in the NHL that's in the finals and they're rolling four lines, you can't tell me that you can't roll four lines in your silly little Pee B or Pee Triple A program somewhere in the middle of New Jersey. Of course you can't. It starts at tryouts, you know. You make a decision as a coach that you're going to pick a team four lines. And I know it's not as easy as saying this, but so what? It's, not, it's, it's hard, right? It's, not, it's hard work to be a coach. You pick the four lines and you tell yourself right there and then, these are the guys I'm rolling with and I'm going to develop all of them. I'm not going to just develop the first two lines. And have the other guys sitting around just in case someone gets hurt, you know. And uh, if an NHL team can do it, we can do it. And we need that type of an example at the top so that that type of methodology trickles down as opposed to all this other garbage that we have people feeding off of. You know, at least that's my thought on it. Yeah. And the thing is, I don't think it's ever going to change, to be honest. Um, (laughs) Well, money, right? It's hard. It's like. Exactly. And people buy into it. Um, And I think it's because. If you don't have hockey experience, you don't really know what you're doing and you want what's best for your kids, so you're going to believe. And that's always going to be the case, unfortunately, which is why for me in, in 
me finding my space in hockey and getting opportunities to coach fall teams and all that. I want nothing to do with it. I just don't want to be involved. I don't want to have to deal with hearing with, you know, higher ups telling me I got to play X kid or X kid and don't play this kid. And it's like, they're 14 years old, man. Like this tournament doesn't matter if they win. I promise you like flat out. It's not about sitting kids at, at a, you know, an important developmental age from every aspect so we can win some random tournament that they're going to forget about in two years or three years. You know what I mean? Like it's about playing these players and I don't want to be in a position where I have to listen to, Hey, you have to play this kid. You have to sit this kid or, you know what I mean? I just don't want to deal with it. I want to be in the space that I'm in right now with the skill development and, you know, take on kind of the similar path that you did as far as, you know, being that mentor and that safe place that players can go to for legitimate advice and help. Right. I mean, listen, I, I made my, sh- I made, made and make, and we all do our share of mistakes. You know, every time we get on the ice for a practice, uh, sometimes we say things to players and we say, ah, oh, maybe that wasn't the best advice. But the, the point is this, you know, you have a season in front of a group of guys and by the time you get to the end of that season, or maybe by the time you get to the middle or wherever it is, you know, that gives you well enough time to kind of make up for and go back and correct. You know, you can course correct different things that you might have done. By the time you get to the end of the season, your player should be left with an overall thought that, hey, listen, th- this is a human being that was in front of me. You know, he's willing to accept that he makes certain mistakes. He's willing to kind of attest to them or have conversation or have difficult conversations or tell me the truth, you know, about my skill set and my ability. He's willing to have you know, uh, faith in me, you know, and, and I'm willing to do the same, you know, you can coach from fear, you know, which is, you know, Hey Danny, you know, I'm benching you because you didn't do X, Y, or Z, you know, and then you're like, Oh, my ice time has been taken away. I'm nervous now. Now you're in a negative space, you know, or you can coach from love and that sounds really hokey, right? It sounds really hokey, but it's like the player needs to know. And that doesn't mean the player doesn't get benched. It doesn't mean the player doesn't, you know, but the player needs to know why they're getting benched and, 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 and more importantly, how they can get themselves off the bench. You know, what's the roadmap to getting back on the ice and getting back into a shift and getting back onto a power play or getting back onto a PK? You know, what are, what's the roadmap you're giving your players? Or are you just sitting them down and, and that, you know, and going to the next guy? Are you just using that kid's mistake so you can play the quote unquote top guy that's fighting for time and fighting for space? You know, are you looking for opportunities to bench kids or are you looking for opportunities to get them on the ice? You know, and I think sometimes we got to really reflect on what we're doing as coaches on the bench, uh, especially operating at those high levels where you have marquee players that have had negotiations with their parents and their agent or whoever, you know, prior to the season even starting. And now coach feels obligated for some reason because ownerships directed you towards it. all that silly stuff that goes on at the top affects how our youth organizations kind of run the show, you know, at the lower levels, you know, and, um, and, and that's, that's unfortunate, you know, or you can coach from a place of love where you, you know, say, listen, it's okay to make mistakes. And that's not something that loser coaches say. That's not something, that's what winning coaches do, you know, and what's more important, you know, winning some stupid game in the middle of nowhere in Saskatoon or Saskatchewan, or having your kids be able to win at life. You know, and, and ultimately I picked the latter, right? I, that's what I think. And guess what? Also, you'll develop your players better and you'll have stronger teams and you'll have your share of wins. You might even win a national title one day. 
You know, if there's some youth hockey coach out there thinking about, you know, well, what should I do with my kids? Develop them. Develop the whole kid. You know, develop your whole team. You know, if it can work for the Montreal Canadiens, it can work for you too. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I, could, I couldn't agree more um, with everything you just said, obviously. And, um, you know, from a mental perspective and like a mental health perspective, I think it 100% goes hand in hand. Um, and I want you to kind of talk about, first off, like your personal experience with, with mental health and um, kind of some of the things that you've gone through. And um, if you care to t- kind of just discuss, like, you know, after you tell your story with that, um, discuss how, you know, hockey and mental health and um, how it goes hand in hand and kind of your experience with hockey and mental health. And, you know, I've said it a million times on here about how hockey was directly involved with my mental health positively and negatively. So I'm sure um, same can be said for you, but I don't want to speak for you. So yeah, if you can just share with us that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> well, you know, okay. So we, we peel back some of the layers and um, you know, to be honest with you, you know, if you look at kind of like uh, I guess how I coach and why I coach, it's nothing special about what I do. You know, I, uh, I love the players that play for me. You know, if I have a player that's going to go out there and uh, throw himself into the corner after a loose puck and get his bell rung by some six foot two guy, 200 and some odd pounds, because I told him to do that. You know, I think you're gonna, if you're a warm blooded human being, at some point you're gonna develop some type of liking, you know, for a kid, you know, you're gonna develop some type of love for that person. And, um, you know, when they trust you like that, you know, and they trust you for lots of reasons. You say, oh, they, they trust you because they want ice time, so they're going to listen to you, or they, they want to get out there more. And, but over time, you have that opportunity to develop a, a, a stronger relationship based on something stronger than just a kid wanting to do so that they can get to play more, you know? It has to turn into something more than that. And you have to earn that trust. You know, you have to earn that, obviously. And, and, and that's a reciprocal thing. It goes both ways. Um, as far as my mental health, with that being said, you know, our team motto on Patriots was one team, one family, right? One team, one family. And what that meant for me is it's, you know, this game of hockey is like one family, you know, and there's one team and it's one game, you know, hockey. And, 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 and but even deeper than that, this, this family is all of us, you know, and this game, this one game is life, you know? And when you start delving into my own grapplings with mental health issues, you know, I, you know, I try not to blame it on anything. I mean, yes, I grew up without a dad, you know. Um, do I feel that that impacted my, you know, myself as a person? I'm sure that there are things missing from or things that could have been in place. I don't want to say missing, like there's a deficit, but maybe there could have been additional tools that I could have had at my disposal if I had a positive role model. Uh, positive male role model in that role but then again who's to say it was going to be a positive one I, I never met him I don't know who he is maybe he was a jerk you know and that negative experience probably would have been a deficit may have taken away but um, you know there's, there's always been this underlying thing with me creating family for my teams and 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 creating that outlet and I know I used to joke around all the time, you know, like I'd be so pumped for the tournaments that we'd go on for any team. I'd get so excited, love going to a hotel, love seeing, you know, all the other teams and just the whole thing. It's, it's just, I have a blast, right? I'm like, who's having more fun here? Me or the kids? I hope the kids are having a good time. I know I'm having a good time. Um, and, and then come Sunday or time to go back on Monday or whenever it is, you know, I'm bummed out. I'm like, oh, win or lose. Now we're going home. I'm just going to, I can't wait 
until the next practice so I can see everybody again. And why was it such a strong yearning for that, that, that group, you know, for that family? And it probably stems back to, you know, some feeling of isolation, you know, on my part growing up, you know, not really being, it was just me and my mom. And, and she provided a lot of love and she provided enough. Um, but I didn't have siblings running around. I didn't have a dad running around. I didn't have a lot of things running around. And I can say, well, no big deal. I never knew it, so I don't miss it. But there's an impact. You know, when you see other families or you see other interactions, when you go on the road and you're in the back of someone's car and mom or dad is driving their son or daughter or whatever it is to a game and you're just kind of tagging along with another family, you know, over time, I think that that kind of plays a role, right? So this hockey thing has meant a lot for me because it's given me the opportunity to create different families and try to nurture them along, nurture you guys along. And, and you guys are nurturing me along as well. You know, I'm learning from your experience. I'm learning from the love that's being given back to me, from the respect, from the uh, courage, from the examples that my players show on the ice every single day. I say, I gotta hold myself to a higher standard because this player is really doing this, that, or the other thing out there. Or I have to bring more to the table because I see that this kid needs a little support, you know? And um, so I don't know. I don't know if it answers your question, but there is a level, there is some vulnerability there that I touched on about as far as maybe some of my other, you know, psychological motives, as far as being in this game as a coach and as a mentor and as a program person, developing players and putting teams together. Um, what am I getting out of it? I'm getting family out of it. You know, and, uh, and and it's pretty important. And with that, there's a big responsibility that you have to your family, um, you know, to, to take care of them and be there for them as best you can. Not just on game day, not just on practices on Wednesdays and, you know, Mondays and Wednesdays when we had practices or whatever. Um, the phone is there. It's, you know, you can pick up the phone anytime. Like I tell you, Danny, or I tell all the other guys that we've coached to work with. And um, you just, I don't know, this is a big responsibility coaching. I'm still trying to figure out how to do a good job of it every day. And every day is a learning experience. And um, I'm trying, you know, um, and hopefully I'll just keep getting better at it. One thing, I don't mean to cut you off, but I want to make a comment quickly about what you said about um, your phone being available. Mm -hmm. And when I tell you guys, like, listening, that there's no BS behind that statement. Um, I've called Sean at three, four, five in the morning um, when I was playing hockey and having massive anxiety attacks, like puking, like the worst possible situations I could have ever been in. And he picks up every time. Um, and he talks to me off the ledge for hours on end. Um, and it's just a, a great support system. And um, it's nice that, you know, I, I don't have a hockey background. My family didn't play hockey growing up. So having Sean as someone that, could kind of give me that hockey advice as well mixed in with the life advice um it i can't tell you how much it's meant to me and that's why i'm so you know happy to have this on but i just wanted to give context that when he says that hey you can call me whenever he means it and this has happened sean thousands and thousands of times you know i'm a bit of a mental midget when it comes to the game i care too much i think but um yeah i just wanted to make that known that that's legitimate um and it's happened for me countless times and uh, just can't express how appreciative I am of it because I would not have been where I am today without you, Sean. And um, yeah, I'm just appreciative. Well, I try, you know, I know you, you warned me about the humility part on that. So I'll speak on, you know, your comment there a bit. You know, um, 
Yeah, Danny, you know, you call me at any old time, you know, but I, I look over and I see it's you or if I see it's any of my players, I'm excited. You know, I'm excited to pick up the phone, you know, because hearing from you guys means a lot. Um, you know, sometimes it's not always the best, right? Circumstances, you're, you're going through stuff. And I think sometimes people, you know, as a coach, I don't pride myself. I'm not super X's and O's. I'm not super this, super that. I'm a developmental coach. I work with people on their power skating and their, you know, their technique and their form and their skill set. That was my strongest part of my game, my ability to skate well. I, I presented well on the ice, right, as a skater. Um, you know, all the other skill sets, eh, you know. It's okay, but uh, but my skating was enough to get me into places I had no business being in, you know? Uh, playing in the middle of Czechoslovakia or Czech Republic. I mean, you know, come on. What, from the South Bronx, what am I doing over there? But when you talk about the struggle, like when I look at players, and the thing I'm proud of about myself is, ability, is my ability over, and my track record over time, I guess, to kind of see potential. For no apparent reason, for... For, for simple little things, not so much so because of the hockey, right? Like, I almost think like the skill sets in hockey take a second place to identify if someone's willing to fight. Like, how passionate are they about something? Are they passionate about, it doesn't even have to be hockey, but do they carry themselves with a conviction, a passion, almost kind of like a reckless abandon toward the things that they love and they feel passionately about? Um, you know, do you feel that when you talk to someone and, you know, and in your struggle, you know, it's easy to say, oh, he's struggling, you know, he's struggling with this mental health issue or this anxiety issue. But the thing that fed me off of what all of you guys do, because, you know, a lot of my players look similar. They go through a lot of things, right? They, and I guess that's all of them. You, you pull back the veil on all these amazing players that you've had on your show, guys that have gone to the American Hockey League, guys that have, you know, gotten into the NHL, guys that played Division One college hockey, Division Three. All these, you know, girls that have been successful in this, whatever the team may be. And, and they're talking about their struggle with mental health. And it's like, okay, well, mental health issue isn't the anomaly. We all go through it, you know. I think some people just are embarrassed to talk about it. They hide it. But who's willing to fight? Who's willing to struggle, you know. And I see that. I, if I see that in you, you know, it's like, oh, he's having a tough time. But God damn it, he's really putting up one hell of a fight. He's put up one hell of a fight. How do you not get passionate about that person? You know, how do you not appreciate that person? You know, do you sit back and let this, you know, say, oh, ooh, mental health issues, a stigma, you know, something he's, he's not all there or something. No, who's all there? Who's all there? You know, um, the people that think that they're all there, that got it all together, something's wrong with you. You know, you're just not admitting it. And that's okay. That's okay. But when you see someone that's willing to just fight for life, just fighting for their life, fighting to, to live, to understand how to live their life on their own terms, how to be independent, how to be successful, how, you know, confronting life head on, because life is scary. Well, that's what hockey's about. You know, hockey is, that's what it's about. You live life in those three periods and in those few moments for your shift and, you know, those 30, 35, 45 second shifts, you're living a whole lifetime. And are you courageous enough to go out there and fight, sometimes literally, and fight for every inch? Um, so when you see someone out there that's just doing that in life, you know, well, that's a hockey player. And that's a person that has potential. And that's a person that has courage, you know. And, um, you know, that's what I see in you. And that's why I wanted to pick up the phone every time you called and, and any other player that, you know, I've, that has played for me. And, um, yeah, I mean, I have an obligation and, uh, and an opportunity to be there in some way. Yeah. 
well, I know I'm appreciative and all the guys that are on those new rock teams are, you know, appreciative and, um, you know, still keep in touch with all those guys to this day. And that's because you created that. So um, I'm just, uh, again, really appreciative of you coming on and telling your story. And um, I'd love to have you come on again and we could talk about some, you know, more topics. <laughs> I mean, we can have this conversation for hours, but if, if there is anything else that you do want to say um, to anyone out there listening, just some final words, some thoughts, or just some things that you would have want, wanted someone to tell you, um, whether it be regarding mental health or um, words of advice for young hockey players coming up, trying to make it. Um, yeah. What, what, what would that be? Um, well, well, for my, for my fellow coaches out there, I mean, uh, you know, think about the process of coaching from fear versus coaching from love. And, uh, and I say from love, not necessarily with, um, and what that means, you know, don't just count it right at first glance. You know, are you being punitive? Are you, you know, in, in your approach or are you being nurturing in your approach? For all my young players out there, you know, for, for that have experienced the no's, like, you know, you're not good enough. No, you're not this. No, you're not that. You know, don't, don't, don't let that sidetrack you from dreaming. You know, you can dream, dream big. Dream big. I think we talked about this before and it's so cliche. You know, you're shooting for the stars, right? You're shooting for the stars. You really try to say, ah, I got this super lofty goal. And you know what? What happens when you fall short? You end up landing on the moon, right? You land on the moon. Well, geez, that's a pretty lofty goal and a pretty big accomplishment in and of itself. So set your goals high, you know. Um, have realistic conversations with people that you trust um, and, and, and hold on to those relationships that are meaningful. You know, so that you can build something off of it and you can have that support. And, and if you're going through stuff and if you're having a tough time, don't be afraid to reach out to that support system, to someone that you trust. Tell somebody. Tell them that you're not okay. You're not feeling all right. You're hurting. Let somebody know, you know, and, um, and just keep playing this game, man. Keep playing it. It's well worth it. It's a blast. And, uh, you know, and it's all about just living your life. And, and really experiencing living in the moment, you know, appreciating every moment that's given to you because it's a blessing. Appreciate that, Sean. That's a wise word. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I was, I'm excited to release this. So um, it's going to help out a lot of people. And um, just, again, really appreciative of you coming on, being vulnerable, telling your story. And just appreciate for you, you know, being a part of my life and helping me out in so many ways. So, um, yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Danny. Good to see you.